The We're LCC podcast is a monthly show that comes out on the 9th of every month. But if you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app, you'll never need to remember that because the show will automatically be there. So go ahead and hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app now. We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Today, we have the pleasure of having Natasha Lipney from the class of 2008, pre-U 2009, join us. She's the features producer for CBC Saskatchewan and leads in-depth and long-form storytelling on the web, TV, radio, and social media. Today, she's here to talk about the changes in media and how we can move towards more inclusive journalism. First of all, Natasha, I'd like to welcome you so much for joining us and being a guest on the We Are LCC podcast. We're very happy to have you. Thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. It is. It's great. So usually we just start off by asking our participants to tell us a little bit about themselves, their journey, where you went after graduation and and how you ended up where you are now. So I was a lifer at LCC all the way through the pre-U program. And from there, I ended up doing a Bachelor of Journalism at the University of King's College in Halifax. Journalism was something I had been looking at doing for a long time, possibly since elementary or at least middle school, if I recall. I was pretty set on, on pursuing that career. And from Halifax, I then did a short stint in Ottawa and St. John, New Brunswick, before finally ending up where I am now, which is Regina, Saskatchewan. I moved here initially for a reporting job with the Leader Post newspaper, where I largely covered the City Hall beat. And now for the past six years, I've been with CBC Saskatchewan in a variety of roles, most recently for the last few years, focusing on our longer form feature storytelling on all platforms. And so what do you think one or, you know, a couple of the things were that interested you in the field of journalism to begin with? I've always had a love of writing. And when I started out in journalism, it was in print and online. And that was to be able to play around with my writing chops. And that's something that I still love returning to when I have the opportunity. And I love editing, I think, for that reason as well. I also, I consider myself a very curious person, and that's integral to being a good journalist. You have to be naturally curious. So much of the job is interrogating what you observe, what you hear, and wanting to dive deeper. So I think that fed into my interest in journalism. The nature of the job is a storyteller as well. I think if you look at my interests, I have, you know, a theater background, and that has also translated in interesting ways to my career in broadcast. And then finally, there is, of course, a large aspect of it is wanting to make an impact with whatever career I pursued. And and there are a lot of ways to do that with journalism. I was pretty set. I remember even looking back at some of my early writing for LCC's student paper on challenging the status quo. Again, interrogating why things are the way they are, why you're, we're seeing certain trends, and should some of that change? Or is there a way to make this world a better place for certain people that we might be, might be missing in the conversation? I mean, maybe with the next question, you can tell us a little bit about some of the current work that you do. And in that, let us know maybe a couple of the most compelling stories that you've worked on. Yeah, so a lot of my role, which has morphed quite a bit 
My role right now, a big part of my focus is on underrepresented populations in the media. I'm always following reports and statistics around who is not being reported on in general and also our own gaps within CBC and comparing that to demographics of Saskatchewan, for instance, which is my focus. So who are we missing, whether it's looking at cultural demographics or groups such as, you know, people with disabilities or people who identify as LGBTQ+. Those are two areas that have been a focus of mine. And then every year I kind of view key topic areas as well, such as mental health, the drug crisis are just some that have been a focus in the past year, climate change, for instance, and even diverse sports communities. So it really runs the gamut. One piece that I wanted to bring up, which I think touches on a few of those things I just mentioned, is a project that's very dear to my heart that I released a couple months ago about broadening the representation of eating disorders. And this was a photo essay with a number of people across Saskatchewan who are very, very brave for willing to be a part of this project and to put their faces out there and share their stories and get vulnerable with us. And it really wanted to touch on the fact that typically our depiction of eating disorders in the media, whether it's through journalism, like I'm involved in, or pop culture, like TV shows, is very, very narrow. And it misses a lot of people, and there can be some serious repercussions to people not seeing themselves represented. So these were photographing and telling the stories of people who feel they don't fit that narrative and what they want to see change. And I think it really resonated with a lot of people, and I got a lot of feedback to that effect. So I guess it's kind of, in all of your stories, you're trying to make the media sort of play a positive role in people's lives. So whether it's like educating them on a certain topic or the people that are actually featured in your stories, how can we make it positive for all of the audiences and for them as well, for their experience in sharing their stories? Yeah, I I would say that, I mean, really, that should be a driving factor in the vast majority of journalism that you do. You know, one of my colleagues at CBC, Duncan McHugh, who is famous for his work across Canada, especially when it comes to reporting on Indigenous populations, famously said, we need to be storytellers, not story takers. There's no point in reporting, especially on people's intimate personal stories, which drives a lot of the work that I do, if it's for show, if it's for the purposes of putting together, you know, a flashy story or a story that's going to get a lot of eyeballs, but doesn't serve the population or the key issues that it's trying to address. We can go into the question of, of objectivity and subjectivity. It doesn't mean that we're serving a population in the sense that we're beholden to what they want, but we're really thinking, why are we doing this story? What are the possible outcomes of this story, the possible impacts of it? Is there a way for this story to have effects beyond the fact that someone's going to read it and maybe think, huh, that's interesting, or oh, those are neat photos? No, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously, it's very relevant for us now to have a better understanding and a consciousness in daily coverage. And so going back to when you were talking about the underserved or underrepresented populations, how are you reaching them and how are you covering them so it becomes relevant to the audience, but also to the people being covered? So one thing that we've tried here in Saskatchewan is we've held stakeholder meetings with some key groups. And it's something that I would love to continue. We did one a couple of years ago with members of the LGBTQ plus community. 
And we did one more recently with people who identify as having disabilities. And these have worked really well to get a sense from a wide swath of people who identify in these groups as to how they view the media, what they find is lacking, the stories that we they feel we are missing, that they would like to see more of, and also how we're approaching that coverage as well. Because there's two questions here. It's what the stories are about, but also how we're doing that journalism or how we're presenting that journalism on our various platforms. And so these groups, they were virtual sessions that involved a number of staff members and then these members of the public. And it's just wonderful because they've created this continuous kind of feedback loop where we keep going back to these people for input. They think of us when they come up with a story idea or when they want to see coverage on something in particular. And it's this ongoing relationship. And I think these sessions have also kind of cemented in our staffers' minds that we should be paying attention to these issues in our daily journalism. We should be looking for these voices. We should be looking for these ankles for these two populations every single day. And that's had a lasting impact, which I think is invaluable. So I'd love to do that kind of thing more or listening sessions out in the community. It seems to be so much more collaborative rather than than it coming from the top down. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It's really how are we engaging the public and our audience? in our journalism, which is kind of the definition of inclusive journalism. There's no point in in CBC speaking to the public, telling them this is what you need to know and how you need to know it and how you're going to access it. If that's not informed from what our communities are needing and wanting and also where they're interacting online or on the radio or whatever it may be. Right. When you just said there's no point in the CBC telling, you know, All that to say is it makes me think about the industry as a whole. The whole industry has clearly gone through a very dramatic shift with regards to technology or the offerings of the various platforms. So not just connecting, let's say, with those underrepresented or underserved populations, but how do you best stay ahead of that curve of the technology and how do you keep connected with all the different audiences that you may have, how they're accessing the media? and different ages. I mean, it's a loaded question, but it's basically, how is this all happening when the changes are so fast? It's very hard. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. You're right. It happens super quickly. It honestly does feel like we're constantly trying to play catch up. We have a lot of really, really intelligent people at CBC who follow trends on social media, on readership online, on viewing habits, and they do amazing work delivering reports, but it is always that feeling of catch up. So we do the best we can in that sense. I find CBC Saskatchewan in particular has been quite forward thinking in its experimentation, especially around social media. We were one of the first to launch our own TikTok account, for instance, locally, as opposed to at the national level. So it's really great what our teams here have been doing. We are thankful to have live time metric systems that can tell us how many people are in a story, how much time they're spending in it, how it's getting shared on social media, where that traffic's coming from. So we do have access to some really cool data that can help us inform a lot of the ways that we're presenting and putting out stories when we're putting them out. But that only goes, that only goes so far. I think a lot of this, what's really critical is to, again, get out into our communities and to listen to them. 
that qualitative feedback, I think is just as important, if not more, even though it's harder to gather and to analyze than all the, the data that we have access to. Okay, so you mentioned, yes, you have all the quantitative stats to know what kind of stories people are interested. From a qualitative point of view, from feedback you get, do you notice that coverage of, let's say, extraordinary human stories or crime or whatever? Are there any differences that you see based on your audiences? And maybe in our post-COVID world of horrible health news daily, do you notice that people want more of the positive stuff? It can be hard to get that kind of breakdown. We, we did notice that during the pandemic, obviously, so much of our effort and resources went to trying to keep up with the onslaught of COVID news. Talk about facing a fire hose, <laughs> right? That was so, so difficult. And of course, that was important. Like our main job during that peak pandemic period was to keep people informed. And that's what people were looking for. They were looking for that critical health information, the kind of what do I need to know, spell it out for me simply kind of stories. But what we found fairly quickly was people also wanted a reprieve, like you hinted at. So in my role, I helped with the initial news onslaught. But then we realized, you know what, There's, there still is an audience for feel-good human stories, for what people are doing and how they're managing outside of this. And what we find in general, and I'm not saying that all of those stories I work on are of a lighter nature, if you will, but how I always like to describe my role is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And a slice of life, a slice of Saskatchewan, in our case, pieces that speak to a sense of place and a sense of community. And honestly, what resonates with folks more so in the comments that we get, not necessarily the numbers, because it can be smaller communities, is people feeling seen. For me, one of the best comments that I can see on a piece is, thank you so much. I've never seen this reflected before. I've never felt like I've seen myself reflected before. So thank you for doing this. And that story might not have astronomical readership, but for the smaller segment of the population that it resonated with in that way, that means more than any, you know, record-breaking web traffic numbers. Right, of course. I mean, because there's relevance there and you've given someone a voice to be heard. Exactly. And, and not only that, but we've hopefully made that connection where it's like, okay, so now that person maybe more often thinks to come to CBC thinking, you know, maybe they are doing stories about me or maybe they'd be willing to hear story ideas from me. So we've made that connection point and maybe even gained an audience member when we didn't before because they would occasionally go to our homepage or turn on our TV show or radio and they're like, oh, that's, that's never relevant to me. Like, why am I going to bother? And so, I mean, you touched upon a bit of the different types of stories that are told. Do you ever find it hard to separate, let's say, work from home life? I mean, not all of the stories are pretty and you know, all about humankind, you you must encounter some pretty hard things in your day-to-day -day work. And so does that ever become difficult to separate sort of the reality versus, you know, what you're going through? Definitely. I, the, the pandemic has been particularly difficult for that reason, especially during the peak of it. There was no escape for journalists from that news, from that stress because we were having to report on it every single day, see every single press release, every number. 
getting emails and phone calls from people about how they were affected, how they lost family members. And we were dealing with this in our home lives. We were dealing with the health anxieties, the isolation, the family members getting ill, and in some cases, you know, friends or family passing away. So I think that was the starkest example across a wide swath of the industry of there being very little separation between what we were reporting on and what was going on in our own lives. Not to mention the wild adjustments we had to make to keep this place running from home. Part of the reason I bring that up is it brought into really stark relief how we need to address the mental health of journalists much more proactively and offer many more supports. Not that that wasn't known before, but if one sliver of positivity has come out of this from a very unfortunate situation is that there has been a much bigger push around that coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, of course. I mean, there has to be some silver linings and stuff moving forward. Absolutely. What would you say would be a common myth or misconception about your job or the field of the media in general? I have to address the fake news. (laughs) That idea of fake news that has been so prominent over the past number of years and has also crisscrossed with the COVID-19 conversation. There's so much to be said on this, but what I will say, what little segment I want to touch on is this idea that journalists have something to benefit from the stories they are putting out there. A journalist with integrity, which is the vast majority of them, is reporting a story because they want to serve the public. This is a public service job. And that is, I truly believe that is why you should be doing it. Whether that story is for the purposes of, you know, entertainment, because it's a fun story, whether it's an informational story, whether it's one that really makes you get to question or, or think, maybe it's one that makes you feel closer to your community because it's heartwarming and opens your eyes to something. All of those types of stories serve the public. And this idea of fake news is really founded in this false notion that journalists somehow benefit from manufacturing news or by somehow skewing the truth. And that just doesn't happen. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. Unfortunately, there are fake news organisms out there. There are manufacturers of fake news. They're specifically in the business of doing that. And they want to make money or they want to, in some you know terrible cases, even sway elections, right? But that's what they exist for. The idea that fake news permeates what people call the mainstream media or even, you know, community level media does not make sense for that reason, in that we don't have anything to benefit from our journalism. Right, right, right. No, that makes sense. And I'm sure that could be frustrating for, let's say, the, you know, quote, unquote, real journalists out there with the integrity and, you know, not wanting to lose credibility because of what happens when the other parts of the industry sort of taint it. It's required a lot of energy to defend our work when it is the acts of others that is causing it to be questioned. So in general, what would you say are some important lessons that you may have learned so far in your career? And then what's next on the horizon for you professionally? So one lesson I want to share is actually thanks to a mentor who I had the pleasure of having a a number of sessions with earlier this year, Jason Chu from the New York Times. And this has left a lasting impression in that giving people the time of day 
making them feel seen. And I don't just mean in, you know, a reporter journalism sense. I mean, even with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family, with the clerk at the grocery store is almost always more important than whatever you were trying to cross off your to-do list. I, and that's been a big adjustment I've made as someone who feels they never have enough time to get what they need to get done in the day, <laughs> no matter whether it's at work or at home. Taking that moment and giving someone who approaches you the time of day will almost always pay off, even if it delays other things. Yeah, you just want to tell somebody or people want to hear that they've been seen or that you noticed. And like you say, it could be the clerk at the grocery store, but it's little things like that all day long. And it'll go a long way. If it is people you're regularly interacting with, it'll go a long way to building those relationships, which will pay off in the long run. In terms of what's on the horizon, Speaking of mentoring, I am looking for teaching opportunities, more casual, sporadic. I just did a a lecture for the University of Virginia here for their journalism school. I absolutely adore teaching and the mentoring development side of my job, which is a big part of it, is one of my favorite parts. I sent out a flurry of emails last night to other journalism schools, (laughs) seeing if they want me to chat with their students. Well, then we have to get you back to LCC and come and talk to our students. Oh, you bet. I would love to. So. I'd love to look into more teaching opportunities in the future. Might eventually get into that in even a larger capacity. And a big one too is over the past few months, I've actually been acting as the backfill anchor for the, our TV news at six, our evening TV news here in Saskatchewan. So that has been something that was sort of unexpected, but has been an incredible learning opportunity. And it's been a lot of fun. And I look forward to continuing with that here and there as needed into the new year. Well, that's so great. That's so great. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go? If you ever think to yourself, oh, I wonder if a journalist would be interested in this. We probably would be. (laughs) So send someone an email. You never know. Your story is probably more interesting than you give it credit for That's actually great. You know, people probably walk around with all kinds of information going like, well, this is really cool, but no one really cares about it, but someone's going to care about it. Honestly, so many of my story ideas, whether they're more newsy stories or more of the slice of life feature stories come from me being out and about in the community. Me seeing something walking downtown, me having that conversation with the person who I just bought a Christmas gift from, you know, going to a concert and running into someone I haven't seen in ages. And that's what I always tell younger journalists is ears open, eyes open, get out into your community. The story ideas are there. The interesting sources are out there. Well, you said it right at the beginning. It was curiosity that got you started. I brought us full circle without even knowing it. (laughs) Oh, Natasha, it's been so great to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. And It's been a pleasure to chat and get to know you a little bit more and to learn more about the industry. It's it's obviously fascinating and changing a lot. And it'll be interesting to see where the industry goes, but also where you go with your career. I think it's you're going to have a nice one. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to wearelcc.ca slash podcast. And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. 
Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.